Good morning. My name is John Rauch. I'm the kids pastor here at Grace. If you don't know who I am, get to hang out with you guys a couple times a year and open up God's Word. Usually get to hang out with your kids on a Sunday, and most of you I know because a lot of you have kids. And uh, uh, anyway, I'm glad to be with you guys this morning, though. And if you know me, uh, then you know I love to laugh, and I love to make people laugh, and I love to have fun. In fact, it's one of the values that I'm trying to instill in my children is the value of laughing, the value of um, laughter. My, uh, my middle school daughter, though, doesn't always appreciate how I try to make people laugh, like when I uh, throw open our curtains to our backyard and we stand before the, the sliding door and I show off my best dance moves to our neighbors, you know, in the morning or something. She, she's like, Dad, like, I go to school with some of those people, you know? And she tries to close those curtains back up and keep me inside and, and not let me express myself the way I think the Lord would have me to. So, you know, but I love I loved to laugh. In fact, one of my favorite verses is Nehemiah 8.10. And do you know what Nehemiah 8.10 says? It says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Now, Laughter is not a fruit of the Spirit. It's not a character trait maybe that God is developing inside of us. But you know that joy is. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit that God is developing inside of you. And if you are walking with the Spirit, you will be a person who has joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. In 2015, you don't know what you're going to face. You're going to need strength for it. And it's interesting that the source of your strength will be the joy of the Lord. For Christmas and New Year's, we got together with my family. Uh, we left the day after Christmas. We got back, I think, the day before New Year's and spent uh, about five or so days with my family in Pennsylvania. And my sister Beth was there. My, my two brothers, Ben and Pete, were there and all of our kids. And, uh, and, and it, it was really cool to get together because we don't get to do it very often. Unfortunately, one of the things that really stinks about being in ministry, of all the great things I love about it, is that I don't get to see my family a lot. And I don't get to see my nephews and my nieces. And, and, and we're celebrating what I call right now round two of the grandkids. We, we had round one. That started with, with, again, with my daughter, Ellie. And then my sister and her husband adopted three kids all at once. And then my brother had two girls, and we added two boys. We went from zero to eight grandkids, like in three years at our family. It was fast. It was furious. I remember one, I remember one day uh, at a family vacation getting up and sort of announcing to everybody, we were all together, that Tara and I were going to get off this crazy train of children. And uh, we were taking a break. We are getting off the next stop. And it was, it was really funny because two weeks later was when we found out we were pregnant with the Elisha. And I had to kind of comp, I had to call everybody and say, you know what? I was joking. I was wrong. And uh, <laughs> we got one more coming. Our two boys are 11 and a half months apart. It was quick. It was like, wow. It was a surprise when Elisha came. And, and so, and so uh, yeah, so that was round one. And now we're on to what I call round two. My youngest brother, Pete, has two kids, two little ones. And you, a lot of you prayed for my niece, Lila. She was the one who was born and had open heart surgery um, just days after she was born. She is a two-year-old. She's a beautiful little girl, Lila. She's doing wonderful, by the way. And uh, so she's there. And then my brother has another son. And then we adopted Emery. Can you believe that next year, I'm sorry, next week will be one year. She'll be a year old next week. And uh, so it's been a year since we've had her in our life. And then my sister and her husband adopted another child, a little baby boy uh, named Zach. And uh, we call him Zach Attack. 
And so uh, this was the first time here at Christmas that we were all together. All my, all my nieces and nephews, we all got to be together. First time ever. So it was really, really cool. It was also cool because, again, we just don't get to see, I don't get to see my brothers and my sister very much. And a lot of people who are my friends even tell me, I didn't even know you had a sister. Like you never, ever talk about her. And I tell a lot of stories about my brothers. But, but the thing is, my sister, she's the oldest of all of us. And so you know what an older sister is like, right? Kind of a little bossy, you know, kind of a tattletale, you know, kind of a, you know, mom's favorite. And so I just don't have a lot of great stories to tell about her. That's just the reality. And so, but I got one. So that, that, I'll, I'll tell you one story for, for, for those who want to get to know my sister Beth a little bit. She really is a nice person. Um, so she went to college in Florida. My grandparents lived there. They retired there. And they lived for like 30 years there until they were 90, till in their 90s. And so had a great, great life. So she wanted to be close to them. Um, and so she went to college in Florida. And this one year, we were going down to, to uh, Christmas break to pick her up. My dad and I were going to drive down. My two friends found out about it. They're like, hey, we'll go along. We'll call it a college visit. So they get, they get out of school and we drive down to, uh, to go pick up my sister at college to bring her back for Christmas break. We get down there the day before Christmas break is going on. And so they had some kind of, you know, Christmas dinner special event kind of thing. And my sister had just started dating this guy named JJ. Now, JJ is actually now my brother-in-law. I love him. He's a great guy. I, I didn't know it at the time, though. And, and so she had just started dating him. He was here at this dinner. And so, you know, she, she didn't want her little brother and her dad and, her, and his friends to sit with them. So we were at this other table uh, here in this cafeteria at this college. And anyway, she, uh, my dad goes down. He wants to talk to her about something. And so he goes down there. JJ comes down to our table. And he's talking to me and my two friends. I introduce myself. It's the first time I've ever meeting him. I introduce myself to him. And, and I, say, uh, I say, hey, did Beth tell you about her last boyfriend? And... Uh, <laughs> And she's like, and he's like, JJ's like, uh, no. And he's totally like me. He has red hair, you know, kind of pale skin. And, and so he, he gets red, you know, and it shows really easy, just like I do. And, uh, and so he's starting to get a little red. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, just be really careful, like, what you say around my dad. And uh, I said, you know, he had a really hard time. He ended up beating up her last boyfriend. This is what I said to him. And, uh, and he... I'm like, she didn't, she didn't tell you that? And he's like, no. You know, kind of like sort of nervous, not sure if I'm, you know, messing with him. But he doesn't know me. He thinks I'm serious. And, and uh, so anyway, he goes back to his table. Like two minutes later, we're sitting there enjoying a nice holiday meal. And, and, I, and, and I hear this, John! And that was my sister. That must have been when he told her what I had said or whatever. Because my dad never did anything like, you know, like that to him. So that's my story about my sister. Now you get to know Beth um, a little bit. She's my older sister. This was a really special time, though, here just last week, getting together with them, together, the, 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 all of us, because of just a few months ago, my sister um, actually heard some words that none of us ever want to hear. And in fact, secretly, all of us are scared to hear these three words. You have cancer. My sister Beth was diagnosed with cancer just a few months ago. Came out of nowhere. Just, just shocked us. Sometimes when you see, sometimes you can see kind of struggles coming in the distance, trials. You sort of see them coming into your life. Other times they just sort of come out of nowhere and just whack you upside the head. This was one of those. And so the night before her surgery that she was going to have to try to remove the cancer, 
we all got together on this conference call, on this phone call, and my kids and, my, and Tara and I were there and, and my brothers and their families, my parents, my, my mom had flown down to Florida to be with Beth and, and uh, even my grandma was on the line and, and we, we talked and we laughed together and we encouraged each other and we prayed to our God on behalf of Beth. 2014 had some similar struggles like that for many, many of you here in this room. The scriptures tell us that, uh, that there is a season for laughing and there's also a season for mourning or for tears. And both of those happen in the course of a year. And so you know what that's like. But when life sort of whacks you on the head and surprises you with some sorrow or some struggle, how do you cling to God and make sense of everything? As followers of Jesus, as, as people of God, we turn to the scriptures. And will you turn with, there with me this morning? Would you turn there to Psalm chapter 23? If you need a Bible to follow along today, we have one for you. We'd like to give it to you as a gift. Okay, so just raise your hand. We have ushers here in the main as well as in the link. That would just be thrilled to put a, a copy of God's word in your hand. Psalms is right in the middle. There's 150 of them, but we're going to look at the 23rd one. These are like poems and, and different pieces of scripture, I'm sorry, of literature that, uh, that are just beautiful and help put flesh and life to our, to our faith. Psalm chapter 23, I chose it because it's so familiar to lots of us. A lot of you know this psalm. I chose it because usually we only get to read it like at funerals, and I thought it'd be great to look at it on a Sunday morning and, and not just save it for a funeral. And, and I also, though, chose it because it... Uh, uh, helps to recognize who God is in the midst of real life happening, the tension that exists in life. As we wrap up this greatest exchange series that we've gone through through the month of December, and now today is the last day of that series, as we've looked at the, the coming, the advent of Christ into our world, and we look at what that means for us, this exchange that he has made on our behalf, Today we're going to take a look at one of the, the last trades of, of, of this series. And it is that God trades our sorrow for his joy. Would you stand up and would you read with me together Psalm chapter 23? It's just six verses. We'll read it together. Ready? Read. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You can have a seat. And as you sit down, I want you to think about a question. And, and you actually can raise your hand, okay, to this question. So you have a little participation here. Help me out, all right? How many of you believe that God trades our sorrow for his joy? How many would say that's true? Raise your hand, okay? Some of you aren't sure. Some of you guys are raising your hand confidently. Let me ask it this way. How many of you would say that God trades our lives of sorrow, takes it all away, and gives us a life completely full of joy? Raise your hand to that one. 
Okay, less of you are sure of that one. And that is because that is a great struggle and tension that we face in um, this world. Um, Something that I've learned over the course of my life um, is this. As believers, we are forced to live with this tension of what our faith tells us and what our eyes see. That's a really critical statement, so I want you to think about it, okay? You can even write it down. I want you to ponder that. As believers, we are forced to live with the tension of what our faith tells us is true and then what our eyes see happening in our lives. Do you understand what I mean when I make that statement? Does that make sense? And as believers, we sort of live in the middle of that tension. Tension can be defined as a strained state or a strained condition resulting from forces acting in opposition to each other. And so when our faith is kind of pointing this way, and what we see looks exact opposite of what our faith tells us, that creates tension. That creates a strained state or a strained condition. Think about it this way with a rubber band. There is strain on this rubber band when I pull in opposite directions. When I pull this way and this way, it creates a tension. And think about it with relationship to God. Our faith tells us that God is in control. The world sure looks like it's out of control. Our faith tells us that God will provide. But we just keep getting bill after bill. Our faith tells us that God can heal. But the medical report continues to show our sickness. It's still there. That's tension, right? We want to tell our kids that following God is the best way to live. That God gives you joy. But our kids see the pain in life. They hear about it. They see it on the news. They see it in their own lives. And they realize there's a tension there. Now, I believe that God does trade our sorrow for joy. But it doesn't mean that he takes away the tension that we feel. God doesn't take away every sorrow right now in our lives. Okay? Not right now, not everyone. There's a tension there. The psalmist writes these verses uh, of comfort, and I love them. Take, take a look back at Psalm chapter 23. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He, he takes care of me like a shepherd takes care of sheep. He, he makes me lie down in green pastures. In other words, where there's, where there's food for me to eat. He takes care of my needs. He leads me beside quiet waters, not raging waters, but he he, he places me where I can get a drink, where I can find refreshment, verse 3 says. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths. He he points me in the right direction. He, He points me towards the way that I should go that's best for me, for his name's sake. But then you read verse 4 and 5, and it sort of creates that tension again. It says, even though I walk through the darkest Valley, I will fear no evil. 
for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And as you read those verses there, if you're like me, you kind of have to you ask yourself, you know, why does there have to be a darkest valley of death? You know, Jesus, couldn't you just take me sort of over the bridge that goes over top of that valley? You know, why do we have to go along that way? Can't we just go around uh, uh, the other way? Or verse five, where it says, he prepares a table before me. That's wonderful. He does it though in the presence of mine enemies. I mean, why do I have to have enemies and why do I have to eat with them? You know, well, why can't I eat just eat with my, my BFF, Pastor Jim? Why can't I just eat with him? So I have to, to eat with my enemies. And so the psalmist sort of recognizes the tension. While he offers hope, he also shows us that there's tension in life. There's hard times, there's struggles. You are going to have enemies. You are going to have dark valleys. You're going to need a shepherd. You know, why does my shepherd need a rod? Can he just walk around with a bubble wand? That would be a lot more fun. Right? You know, it, it's, like, it's like I tell my kids, so, guys, not everybody gets to serve where it's 70 and sunny like San Diego. God calls some of us to northern Indiana. And it's awesome. People who are cynics of faith will often point to the hurt and the evil that's in our world as a reason, as an argument against faith or against the existence of God. But I want to show you today, if you are really a seeker of truth this morning, that the scriptures don't actually present a world that says you'll be free from pain and sorrow and suffering if you're a follower of God. But it presents the world as it is, very authentic and very real. There is going to be that type of pain. And the reason is, let me go back to this rubber band here for a moment. The reason is, is that the tension is actually very, very critical. This tension is actually very critical. I saw this recently, and I thought it was so helpful, and I want to share it with you guys. Chad, would you jump on the stage with me today, real fast, man? Chad Wilson, everybody, our summer intern, one of them. Thanks, man, good job. All right, sorry you sat in that seat. The rubber band is, is going to be really critical. Remember this tension here. When I was home in Pennsylvania, I had, a friend, I had uh, breakfast with my friends. His name was Jason. And what we used to do in our, in our, uh, uh, when we were kids, we would get into his basement. And we would build like forts, like out of sofa cushions and stuff like that. And then we would shoot rubber bands at each other in the dark. And that, and that was fun. Has anybody ever done that before? You just kind of get in these rubber band battles where you shoot them at each other when you were a kid. And then you guys, man, it's a Pennsylvania thing. Well, we used to do it. And uh, yeah, and, and here's the thing, Chad. When I would take a rubber band and I would just sort of just put it in my hand and I would throw it at him, it didn't really do anything, right? Yeah. It, did, it didn't have anything behind it. There was no umph, there was no power. When you take the tension away from the rubber band, there's nothing. It's like, what are you doing? It's, it's only, now that's, you gotta, you, gotta, you gotta sit back in here, man. You gotta come inside the line there. It, now, you, this is a nice, this is your fight club, man. Look at this, yeah, fight club. Nice. Come on, don't, don't be scared. All right. It's only when you add the tension, sorry, bro, that there's power. Thanks, Chad, you can have a seat. It's only when you add the tension that there is any power. And what's true in a rubber band battle is true in life, too. 
Because if God takes away all the tension in our lives, if he takes away all of the pain and all of the sorrow in our lives, will we ever be able to share Christ with anyone else who is living in a world of pain or suffering or hurt? Or is it only when they see us as joy-filled yet in sorrow, yet in pain, in the midst of pain, is that when we will be able to share Christ with them? You see, God actually expects us to cling to him within this tension of faith and reality. God actually expects us to live that way. In fact, it's powerful when we do. Just like there's power in this rubber band because of the tension, there is power in our lives when we live within faith and reality. Our world needs to see us having invincible joy in the face of trials. Invincible joy in the face of struggles. That is what our world needs to see so that they also can have hope. If, if God takes everything away, if we only have you know, good times and blessings and blessings upon our lives, we lose all the tension and we lose all the power. It's only within the tension that God can use us. In fact, take a look at 2 Corinthians verse 6. The Apostle Paul is writing this passage here to a church that was going through some hard times, that was going through some struggles, and he wanted to show them that he was there with them, that he understood what they were going through. And, and, and the scripture that he was writing to them, the, the challenges that he was laying before them, he understood where they were at because he had been there himself. He had been there himself. Listen to what he says in verse 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3. And I'll keep reading then from there. It says, We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. In other words, hey, look at our lives. Look at what we've gone through too. We, we get it. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, in hardships, and distresses. You guys have gone through those things? Listen, he says, so have I. I through beatings, he says, verse 5, through imprisonments and riots for teaching Jesus, in hard work, sleepless nights, hunger, in purity, and understanding, and patience, and kindness. Just like you're trying to pursue those things, so are we. In the Holy Spirit, in sincere love, in truthful speech, in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left. We, we have the same power that you have of righteousness. That's all we're working with. Through glory and dishonor, through bad report and good report, genuine, yet regarded as impostors, known, yet regarded as unknown, dying, and yet we live on, beaten, and yet not killed. And then here's the phrase that I want to focus on. Verse 10 says, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Paul was able to describe his life that way because that is what the world needs to see. That was what those hearers needed to hear him say, that he had been sorrowful. He wasn't living in this vacuum where everything was great and he had joy. He was living in the midst of great trouble and great pain, and yet he was able to still have joy that came from Christ. 
Christ is still good even in the midst of trial. God is still good even in the midst of sorrow. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And the truth, number one, that I want you to focus on today is this. Cling to God in the tension of faith and reality gives us the right to offer hope. That's what gives us the right to offer hope. That's what your neighbors are looking for. That's what your family who doesn't know Christ is looking for. That's what your coworkers are looking for. Someone who is sorrowful yet rejoicing, who is clinging to God in the tension of faith and reality. That's what gives you and I the right to offer them hope. Many of you guys know the Rassler family here at Grace, Galen and Kelly. They're good friends of mine and I recently was reading back through some of the blogs that Kelly had written this year and as they've gone through some just traumatic experiences. And I wanted to pick one to read for you today. She writes this one back in June and she calls it, I quit. This is from Kelly. It's cumbersome sometimes. It's 10.57 at night and I'm beyond exhausted. It's been a tough week. And as I go to lay my head down, My head races and my heart is heavy. It's become my all too familiar cue that my soul needs to wrestle. And so here I am battling my mind and wrestling with my spirit. If you have talked to me in the last week, you've probably heard me say these words. I quit. I quit 2014. And it's mostly said in jest, but there's more truth behind it than I'd like to admit. I have not been this drained emotionally in a long time. Really, if ever, as I relive last Tuesday in my mind, by retelling the story and having my own flashbacks, I have become keenly aware of so many things. When I found Bo as I did, I just reacted. I didn't know that I had seconds, seconds to save him. I just gave him CPR and I called 911. How I thank God for giving me the clarity of mind to, to use the knowledge that I had already learned. It wasn't until we were in the ER and the doctors and the nurses left, the lights were dimmed, and Bo was already hooked up to a monitor that had just knelt over his little 15-pound body, and I sobbed. I kissed my boy, and, and I wept with bitter emotion and yet with a thankful heart. I've only cried like that three other times in my life, and in every instance it was about my kids. The other day I was talking to a friend, and she asked Now, what was it that you had asked God to make you this year? A woman of faith and prayer, I uttered, almost regretfully. That request seems to haunt me now. It makes me wonder the day that I verbalized that earnest prayer, that deep desire. What did the heavenlies look like that day? My mind is spinning. Not that God caused all these events to happen in my life, but he certainly allowed them to come. Was he just waiting for me to to say that request? Whatever was unleashed the day I apparently gave permission for God to build my faith and cause me to be more on my knees and flat on my face than ever before in prayer. Did God issue an edict? Angels? It's Operation Woman of Prayer and Faith. Go. I mean, really? My baby came prematurely. Our vehicle totaled by snapping a telephone pole in half. My husband has cancer. My baby almost died. I'm tired and I'm weary and it's only June. 
Every part of me gives up. God, I, I didn't really mean it. I was just kidding. My white flag is waving and I surrender. It's too personal, Jesus. I'm done. Just I'm done. I can't do it. I don't want to keep going. I don't have it in me. God, don't make me a woman of prayer. God, make me a woman of comfort, a woman who doesn't have problems. That sounds easier right now. And just as I type those words, I hear the whispers of God in my heart. So Kelly, let me carry you now. And I think about how we came home late Wednesday night from the hospital, and it was time to put our little Boaz back to bed. We laid him in his bassinet, and I just wept. This is the place I saw my son, lifeless. This is the place that I saw what I cannot unsee. And so Galen and I prayed, Lord, you are the Prince of Peace. And we pray, believing that you want us to live in peace and not have an ungodly fear. We pray that you would restore that peace to our home. You are not a God of chaos, but a God of order. We ask that you come into our home and rid it of all fear. Lord, we take our thoughts captive and we confine our fears and we submit them to you. And Lord, we choose to make them obedient to your will. I remember this prayer and my faith is strengthened and my spirit is resolved. I was able to sleep in perfect peace that night and every night since. My God is not a genie. He is so much bigger than that. He doesn't promise we won't have hardships. He doesn't promise to change our circumstances, but he promises never to leave us nor forsake us. He says when we are weary and burdened, he will give us rest. He promises to make beautiful things out of our ashes. I need those guarantees. And I have seen God over and over and over again make good on these promises. This year I've walked through what I consider to be the valley of the shadow of death. I have faced some of my greatest fears. It's dark, it's scary, and it's unpredictable. And I'm not even sure that it's over. But I know that he carries me. Jesus, it is he who sustains me. He holds me. He comforts me. He is my rock. He is my peace. He is my firm foundation when the waves come crashing down. And they have. And they still are. But he is everything to me. And Jesus, absolutely, 100% is worth believing in and trusting in. And I won't stop now. And my spirit is choosing to proclaim and request again what I did earlier this year. Battle scars and all. Eyes filled to the brim with tears. Lord, make me a woman of faith. And make me a woman of prayer. I just want to bring you honor, God. Sorrowful, yet always Rejoicing. Christ has sustained the wrestlers. Christ sustained the author of Psalm 23, David. And Christ has sustained millions of other followers of God throughout all of history who have walked through terrible trials. And Christ will sustain you and me as well in 2015. No matter what comes, we will be, we can be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing.
Clinging to God in the tension of faith and reality gives us the right to offer hope. But there are other truths as well to help us live joy-filled lives. There's a lot of great movies out right now if you like going to the movies. If you are someone who follows The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, of course, the last one, right, just came out of six. It's been a long series. Anytime the hashtag is one more time, um, you know it's a long movie series. Um, if you're a, a fan of, uh, of the books, Mockingjay is out right now. It's a great, um, you know, Hunger Games. A lot of you guys are fans of that. There's a lot of good movies out. Unbroken, fantastic book. I haven't seen the movie yet, but, but great movie out there. So, so lots of good movies. Have you ever watched a movie with someone who talks all the time during the movie? You watch? Chad, you do that? Have you ever watched TV or a movie with someone that's sort of suspenseful and they just like, oh my, why did he say that? What do you think he meant? Why, why, is, she, why is she going in there? You don't think she's going to, and you're just like, Pfft. what's even worse is when you're watching a movie with someone, we have a friend like this who just tells you what's going to happen. <laughs> oh my goodness, that drives me nuts. You know, like we were watching Star Wars um, earlier this year and showing it to our boys. And he's like this. He's like, oh, Darth Vader, that's actually his dad. And oh, Leah, who he just kissed, that's his sister. Why would you tell them that, you know? When you're watching movies and you're watching a television show, you're reading a book and you're not to the end yet, you don't want to know the end. You don't want to know what's coming. But in life, knowing the end of the story is actually very helpful. Knowing the end of the story is actually very helpful to getting through the present. It's totally different. And, and so the good news is when sorrow comes we can turn to the last page of the story. We can turn to the last page of the story. Turn to Psalm 23 and look at how David closes this psalm. He's talking about the darkest valley of death, how God is going to be with him even through the hard times, how he prepares a table even in front of his enemies. But then he closes with this great truth here, verse 6. It says, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Say it forever. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When sorrow comes into our lives, we simply need to turn to the last page of the story. And if you and I are a believer in Christ, we know what the end is. It's heaven. We know what the end is. At the end of this beautiful poem here, Psalm 23, David helps us to gain the right perspective. Because perspective changes everything. When you have the right perspective on what's happening today in your life, it changes the way you feel about what's happening even today in your life. When you understand what is in the future for you, when you understand that no matter how bad it is today, you are going to be in heaven one day, looking back at this day and remembering how God was with you. Every day that you live through, one day when you're in heaven, you'll look back at that day and you'll see how God was with you. And that gives me tremendous comfort. 
That gives me a lot of hope. When I'm in that tension and my faith is pulling this way and life is pulling this way, that gives me peace. In fact, it gives us a couple things, a couple of skills that are critical to, to finishing to the end. It gives us, first, motivation to persevere. When we know what the end is happening, we persevere to it. It gives us motivation to persevere to it. Hebrews 12.2, I want you to write that verse down and look at it later. It's an awesome verse. Hebrews 12.2 says that Jesus persevered through the, to the cross, it says, because of the joy that was before him. He looked down through history. He saw you. He saw me. He saw everyone redeemed and in heaven, perfect with him. And because of that joy that was before him, because he saw it, he endured through the cross. Jesus was motivated to persevere to the end because of what he saw in the end. It gives us motivation. When we focus on the end, it also gives us peace that things will be all right. I can't tell you that things are going to be all right this week for you or that everything is going to be all right by the end of the month or that everything's going to be all right even by the end of the year. But I can promise you that one day everything will be all right. No matter what you're facing today, no matter how difficult it is, no matter what comes in 2015, one day, I'm telling you, it will be okay. It'll be okay. You're going to make it. You're going to be okay. Because we have heaven to look forward to. We can live with that perspective. We can live for that perspective. Because trading our sorrow for joy does in fact mean the eventual annihilation of sorrow. Trading our sorrow for joy, it doesn't mean it's annihilated today. It doesn't mean that we're going to have only joy right now and we're not going to have any sorrow. But one day, yeah, every single sorrow will be annihilated. Every single sorrow will be gone. And God will give you complete joy. Clinging to God in the tension of faith and reality is what gives us the right to offer hope. So when that sorrow comes, turn to the last page of the story. Those are powerful truths, things that Christ has done on our behalf. I'm going to give you just kind of three things that we can do, three quick practical things that we can do to live joy-filled lives. Christ is the one who has come and offers us uh, hope in the future. And Christ is the one who lives with us in the present as well, who guides us and shepherds us so that we can get through it. But, but here are three things, some small practical things that you and I can do. Number one, focus on the end. I already kind of shared this. I don't want to stand there, but focus on that end. Remember heaven. Remember what is coming when you're struggling with today. Remember what is tomorrow. Remember that Christ will come and will be, bring you with him. The second thing you can do is find joy in life and learn to laugh. I told you that's one of the values that I'm trying to instill in my kids is to find joy in life and laugh a lot. That's something I think that all of us as believers can do. Remember Nehemiah 8.10, I quoted it earlier. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And you know, that's not the only time in scripture it says that. In fact, 38 times. The scriptures talk about the joy of the Lord. 38 times, the joy of the Lord. Do you know how many times the scriptures talk about the despair 
of the Lord? Zero. Zero times. The despair of the Lord? No, it is the joy of the Lord that gives us strength. That is where we turn for hope. That is where we turn for comfort. The author of Psalm 23, David, you guys who know his story, know he went through some tremendous trials in his life, but he was able to remind himself and give him this pep talk uh, in Psalm 23 when he wrote it to help focus his attention on who God is. We can do the same. We can find joy in life. And the third thing that I think is a practical step to help us live joy-filled lives, focus on the end, um, find joy in life, and learn to laugh a lot. And the third thing is put more margin into your life. Now, I don't mean margarine, okay? (laughs) That's different. Maybe that's a New Year's resolution for you. You just want to have a spoonful of margarine a day. But I mean margin. And what I mean by that is put some space in your life. So many of us in this society or culture that we live in, we have so much going on. And our schedule is literally to the minute filled. And what happens when life comes, when something doesn't go right, we got all these sort of things we're trying to juggle. And when one of them falls, what happens? Everything falls. Our life crumbles because we have no space for life. I can promise you in 2015, life is going to happen to you. Some things aren't going to go right at home. Some things aren't going to go right at work. Some things aren't going to go right in your relationships. Even the relationships you think are awesome right now, you're going to have some tough times there. And if you have everything so jam-packed that when one of those things doesn't go right, your world just crumbles, you're not going to have much joy, right? Because you're already living right here and here is like flipping out and you're right there underneath it. And when just one more thing happens, you can't help it but flip out. Why not live down here a little bit? Do you know that God created the world in six days and on the seventh day he rested? And do you know that? He could have made some awesome stuff on day seven. Do you know that? And your life is filled with awesome stuff. But God somehow thought it was important to take a rest on day seven instead of doing one more awesome thing. You and I could really benefit from cutting out one or two awesome things in our lives and just rest. Nights at home are fantastic. They shouldn't be unusual. Weekends without anything on the schedule is a wonderful thing. It shouldn't be the the. The, it should be the norm instead of like the, oh my goodness, we have nothing. We gotta do something. We gotta call somebody. We gotta, we gotta fill it up. Put some more margin in your life. And if it helps you, put some more margarine in your life too. <laughs> my sister's cancer is uh, gone now. Praise the Lord. She had surgery and they were able to remove it all. But I, but I know it's always there in the back of her mind. You, those of you that are cancer survivors know that. But here's what she's done. She's clinging to God in the tension of faith and reality. She's turned to the last page of the story and she knows what's at the end. She finds joy in life and she keeps on living. And she's put some margin in her life and is enjoying her family, is serving others and She's enjoying the good things that God 
has given her, including a really, really swell brother. What about you? Are you living a life sorrowful yet always rejoicing? One of the things we say every week, almost every week to your kids in Kid City, is that you can trust God no matter what. And this year in 2015, you can trust God no matter what comes. You can trust him. He's got good things for you planned. We, we want every child in Kid City to, to have that into the fabric of their being, and I want you to as well. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You can have incredible peace. The scripture gives promises and truth for us today. As we close today, I want you to kind of put away your Bible and put away your notes. And I want you just to look at these screens. And we have just a tremendous scripture after scripture for you to focus on, to read, to reflect on, and let these truths just sort of wash over your soul and offer you comfort. Take a deep breath and take these in.
wife came in after the first service. She said, how did it go? How was, your, how was the first message? She said, it was the best message of the year. It was the first message of the year. Guys, have a great week. We love you. May the joy of the Lord be your strength this week. We'll see you guys next Sunday.